0: there, and welcome to tonight's episode of Down to Sleep, the podcast of softly spoken stories to help you get a good night's rest. Thank you for joining me tonight, where we're going to be continuing with A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. I hope that you've had a wonderful month so far, and are looking forward to Christmas if you celebrate it, but either way, I hope that you have a lovely holiday season. If you would like to support this podcast, you can join me on Patreon at patreon.com slash downtosleep. For a few dollars a month, you get access to every single episode I've done so far, as well as two new readings every week. That is 100 episodes for just a few dollars. Another way to support this podcast is by leaving a positive review wherever you're listening. If you're listening on Spotify, they've recently just added a star system, and you should be able to give us five stars out of five if you wish. That would be a very nice Christmas present. Thank you for listening. Let's begin. A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens The same face, the very same, Marley, in his pigtail, usual waistcoat, tights and boots, the tassels on the latter bristling, like his pigtail and his coat skirts, and the hair upon his head. The chain that he drew was clasped about his middle. It was long and wound about him like a tail, and it was made, for Scrooge observed it closely, of cash boxes, keys, padlocks, ledgers, deeds, and heavy purses wrought in steel. His body was transparent, so that Scrooge observing him and looking through his waistcoat, could see the two buttons on his coat behind. Scrooge had often heard it said that Marley had no bowels, but he had never believed it until now. No, nor did he believe it even now, though he looked the phantom through and through, and saw it standing before him, though he felt the chilling influence of its death-cold eyes and marked the very texture of the folded kerchief bound about its head and chin. Which wrapper he had not observed before. He was still incredulous, and fought against his senses. How now, said Scrooge, caustic and cold as ever. What do you want with me? Much. Marley's voice, no doubt about it. "'Who are you? Ask me who I was.' "'Who were you then?' said Scrooge, raising his voice. "'You're particular for a shade?' He was going to say, "'To a shade,' but substituted, "'This as more appropriate.' "'In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley.' "'Can you—can you sit down?' asked Scrooge, looking doubtfully at him. "'I can. Do it, then,' Scrooge asked the question, because he didn't know whether a ghost so transparent might find himself in a condition to take a chair, and felt that in the event of it being impossible, it might involve the necessity of an embarrassing explanation. But the ghost sat down on the opposite side of the fireplace, as if he were quite used to it. You don't believe in me, observed the ghost. I don't, said Scrooge. What evidence would you have of my reality, beyond that of your senses? I don't know, said Scrooge. Why do you doubt your senses? Because, said Scrooge, a little thing affects them. A slight disorder of the stomach makes them cheats. You may be an undigested bit of beef, a blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of an underdone potato. There's more of gravy than of grave about you, whatever you are. Scrooge was not much in the habit of cracking jokes, nor did he feel in his heart by any means waggish then. The truth is that he tried to be smart as a means of distracting his own attention and keeping down his terror, for the spectre's voice disturbed the very marrow in his bones. To sit, staring at those fixed, glazed eyes, in silence for a moment, would play, Scrooge felt, the very deuce with him. There was something very awful too. the spectres being provided with an infernal atmosphere of its own. Scrooge could not feel it himself, but this was clearly the case, for though the ghost sat perfectly motionless, its hair and skirts and tassels were still agitated as by the hot vapour from an oven. You see, this toothpick asked Scrooge, returning quickly to the charge for the reason just assigned, and wishing, though it were only for a second, to divert the vision's stony gaze from himself. "'I do,' replied the ghost. "'You are not looking at it,' said Scrooge. "'But I see it,' said the ghost, notwithstanding. "'Well,' returned Scrooge, "'I have but to swallow this.' and be for the rest of my days persecuted by a legion of goblins, all of my own creation. Humbug, I tell you, humbug. At this the spirit raised a frightful cry, and shook its chain with such dismal and appalling noise that Scrooge held on tight to his chair to save himself from falling in a swoon. But how much greater was his horror— when the phantom, taking off the bandage round its head as if it were too warm to wear indoors, its lower jaw dropped down upon its breast. Scrooge fell upon his knees and clasped his hands before his face. "'Mercy,' he said. "'Dreadful apparition. Why do you trouble me?' "'Man of the worldly mind,' replied the ghost.' "'Do you believe in me, or not?' "'I I do,' said Scrooge. "'I must. "'But why do spirits walk the earth, "'and why do they come to me?' "'It is required of every man,' the ghost returned, "'that the spirit within him "'should walk abroad among his fellow men, "'and travel far and wide. "'And if that spirit does not forth in life,' "'It is condemned to do so after death. "'It is doomed to wander through the world. "'Woe is me, and witness what it cannot share, "'but might have shared on earth, and turned to happiness.' "'Again the spectre raised a cry, "'and shook its chain and wrung its shadowy hands. "'You are fettered,' said Scrooge, trembling. "'Tell me why.' I wear the chain that I forged in life, replied the ghost. I made it, link by link, yard by yard. I girded it on of my own free will, and of my own free will I wore it. Is its pattern strange to you? Scrooge trembled more and more. Or would you know? pursued the ghost the weight and length of the strong coil that you bear yourself. It was full as heavy, and as long as this, seven Christmas eves ago. You have laboured on it since. It is a ponderous chain. Scrooge glanced about him on the floor, in the expectation of finding himself surrounded by some fifty or sixty fathoms of iron cable but he could see nothing. Jacob, he said imploringly, old Jacob Marley, tell me more. Speak comfort to me, Jacob. I have none to give, the ghost replied. It comes from other regions, Ebenezer Scrooge, and is conveyed by other ministers to other kinds of men. Nor can I tell you what I would very little more is all permitted to me. I cannot rest, I cannot stay, I cannot linger anywhere. My spirit never walked beyond our counting-house. In life my spirit never roved beyond the narrow limits of our money-changing hole, and weary journeys lie before me. It was a habit with Scrooge Whenever he became thoughtful to put his hands in his breeches' pockets, pondering on what the ghost had said, he did so now, but without lifting up his eyes or getting off of his knees. "'Must have been very slow about it, Jacob,' Scrooge observed, in a businesslike manner, though with humility and deference. "'Slow,' the ghost repeated." Seven years dead, mused Scrooge, traveling all the time. The whole time, said the ghost. No rest, no peace, incessant torture of remorse. You travel fast, said Scrooge. On the wings of the wind, replied the ghost. You might have got over a great quantity of ground in seven years, said Scrooge. The ghost, on hearing this, set up another cry, and clanked its chain so hideously in the dead silence of the night that the ward would have been justified in indicting it for a nuisance. Oh, captive bound and double ironed, cried the phantom, not to know that ages of incessant labor by immortal creatures for this earth must pass into eternity before the good of which it is susceptible is all developed not to know that any christian spirit working kindly in its little sphere whatever it may be will find its mortal life too short for its vast means of usefulness not to know that no space of regret "'can make amends for one's life's opportunity misused. "'Yet such was I. Such was I. "'But you were always a good man of business, Jacob,' faltered Scrooge, "'who now began to apply this to himself. "'Business!' cried the ghost, wringing its hands again. "'Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business.' charity, mercy, forbearance, benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop in the water of the comprehensive ocean of my business. It held up its chain at arm's length as if that were the cause of all of its unavailing grief, and flung it heavily upon the ground again. At this time of the rolling year, the spectre said, I suffer most, Why did I walk through the crowds of fellow beings with my eyes turned down and never raise them to that blessed star which led the wise men to a poor abode? Were there no poor homes to which its light would have conducted me? Scrooge was very much dismayed to hear the spectre going on at this rate and began to quake exceedingly. Hear me, cried the ghost. My time is nearly gone. I will, said Scrooge, but don't be hard upon me. Don't be flowery, Jacob, pray. How is it that I appear before you, in a shape that you can see? I may not tell. I have sat invisible beside you many and many a day. It was not an agreeable idea, and... "'Scrooge shivered and wiped the perspiration from his brow. "'There is no light part of my penance,' pursued the ghost. "'I am here tonight to warn you "'that you have yet a chance and a hope of escaping my fate, "'a chance and a hope of my procuring Ebenezer. "'You're always a good friend to me,' said Scrooge. "'Thank ye.' You will be haunted, resumed the ghost, by three spirits. Scrooge's countenance fell almost as low as the ghosts had done. Is that the chance and hope that you mentioned, Jacob? He demanded in a faltering voice. It is. I I think I'd rather not, said Scrooge. Without their visits, said the ghost. You cannot hope to shun the path that I tread. Expect the first tomorrow, when the bell tolls one. Couldn't I take them all at once and have it over with, Jacob, hinted Scrooge. Expect the second on the next night, at the same hour. The third upon the next night, when the last stroke of twelve has ceased to vibrate. Look to see me no more, and look that for your own sake you remember what has passed between us. When it had said these words, the spectre took its wrapper from the table and bound it round its head as before. Scrooge knew this by the smart sound that its teeth made when the jaws were brought together by the bandage. He ventured to raise his eyes again and found his supernatural visitor confronting him in an erect attitude, with its chain wound over and about its arm. The apparition walked backwards from him, and at every step it took, the window raised a little, so that when the spectre reached it, it was wide open. It beckoned for Scrooge to approach, which he did, when they were within two paces of each other, Marley's ghost held up its hand, warning him to come no nearer. Scrooge stopped, not so much in obedience as in surprise and fear, for on the raising of the hand he became sensible of confused noises in the air, incoherent sounds of lamentation and regret, wailings inexpressibly sorrowful and self-accusatory. The spectre, after listening for a moment, joined in the mournful dirge and floated out upon the bleak, dark night. Scrooge followed to the window. Desperate in his curiosity, he looked out. The air was filled with phantoms, wandering hither and thither in restless haste, and moaning as they went. Every one of them wore chains like Marley's ghost. Some few, they might be guilty governments, were linked together. None were free. Many had been personally known to Scrooge in their lives, He had been quite familiar with one old ghost in a white waistcoat with a monstrous iron safe attached to its ankle, crying piteously at being unable to assist a wretched woman with an infant whom it saw below upon a doorstep. The misery with them all was clearly that they sought to interfere for good in human matters and had lost the power forever. Whether these creatures faded into mist, or mist enshrouded them, he could not tell. But they and their spirit voices faded together, and the night became as it had been when he walked home. Scrooge closed the window, and examined the door, "'by which the ghost had entered. "'It was double locked, "'as he had locked it with his own hands, "'and the bolts were undisturbed. "'He tried to say humbug, "'but stopped at the first syllable, "'and being from the emotion that he had undergone, "'or the fatigues of the day, "'or his glimpse of the invisible world, "'or the dull conversation of the ghost,' all the lateness of the hour, much in need of repose, went straight to bed without undressing and fell asleep upon the instant. Stave Two The First of the Three Spirits When Scrooge awoke, it was so dark that looking out of bed he could scarcely distinguish the transparent window from the opaque walls of his chamber. He was endeavouring to pierce the darkness with his ferret eyes, when the chimes of a neighbouring church struck the four quarters, so he listened for the hour. To his great astonishment, the heavy bell went on from six to seven, and from seven to eight, and regularly up to twelve, and then stopped. Twelve. It was past two when he went to bed. The clock was wrong. An icicle must have gotten into the works. Twelve. He touched the spring of his repeater to correct this most preposterous clock. Its rapid little pulse beat twelve, and stopped. Why, it it isn't possible, said Scrooge, that I could have slept a whole day and far into another night. It isn't possible that anything's happened to the sun and this is twelve at noon. The idea being an alarming one, he scrambled out of bed and groped his way to the window. He was obliged to rub the frost off with his sleeve of his dressing gown before he could see anything, and could see very little then. All he could make out that it was still very foggy and extremely cold and that there was no noise of people running to and fro and making a great stir as there unquestionably would have been if night had beaten off bright day and taken possession of the world scrooge went to bed again and thought and thought and thought it over and over and over and could make nothing of it The more he thought, the more perplexed he was. The more he endeavoured not to think, the more he thought. Marley's ghost bothered him exceedingly. Every time he resolved within himself, after mature inquiry, that it was all a dream, his mind flew back again, like a strong spring released to its first position and presented the same problem to be worked all through. Was it a dream, or not? Scrooge lay in this state, until the chime had gone three quarters more, when he remembered, on a sudden, that the ghost had warned him of a visitation when the bell told one. He resolved to lie awake, until the hour was past, "'Considering that he could no more go to sleep than go to heaven, "'this was perhaps the wisest resolution in his power. "'The quarter was so long that he was more than once convinced "'he must have sunk into a doze unconsciously and missed the clock. "'At length it broke upon his listening ear. "'Ding-dong! A quarter past. said Scrooge counting ding-dong, half-past, said Scrooge, ding-dong, a quarter to it, said Scrooge, ding-dong, the hour itself, said Scrooge triumphantly, and nothing else, he spoke before the hour bell sounded, which it now did, with a deep, dull, hollow, melancholy one, Light flashed up in the room in an instant, and the curtains of his bed were drawn. The curtains of his bed were drawn aside, I tell you, by a hand. Not the curtains at his feet, nor the curtains at his back, but those to which his face was addressed. The curtains of his bed were drawn aside, and Scrooge, staring up into a half recumbent attitude, found himself face to face with the unearthly visitor who drew them, as close to it as I am now to you, and I am standing in the spirit at your elbow. It was a strange figure, like a child, yet not so like a child as like an old man, viewed through some supernatural medium, which gave him the appearance of having receded from the view, and being diminished to a child's proportions. Its hair, which hung about its neck and down its back, was white as if with age, and yet the face had not a wrinkle in it. The tenderest bloom was on the skin. The arms were very long and muscular, the hands the same, as if its hold were of uncommon strength. Its legs and feet, most delicately formed, were like those upper members, bare. It wore a tunic of the purest white, and round its waist was bound a lustrous belt, the sheen of which was beautiful. It held a branch of fresh green holly in its hand, and, in singular contradiction of that wintry emblem, had its dress trimmed with summer flowers. But the strangest thing about it was that from the crown of its head there sprung a bright clear jet of light, by which all of this was visible, and which was doubtless the occasion of its using in its duller moments a great extinguisher for a cap which it now held under its arm. Even this, though, when Scrooge looked at it with increasing steadiness, was not its strangest quality, for as its belt sparkled and glittered now in one part and now in another, and what was light one instant at another time was dark, So the figure itself fluctuated in its distinctness, being now a thing with one arm, and now with one leg, now with twenty legs, now a pair of legs without a head, now a head without a body, of which dissolving parts and no outline would be visible in the dense gloom wherein they melted away. And in the very wonder of this, it would be itself again, distinct and clear as ever. "'Are you the spirit, sir, whose coming was foretold to me?' asked Scrooge. "'I am.' The voice was soft and gentle, singularly low as if instead of being so close beside him it were at a distance. "'Who and what are you?' Scrooge demanded. "'I am the ghost of Christmas past.' "'Long past?' inquired Scrooge, observant of its dwarfish stature. "'No, your past.' "'Perhaps Scrooge could not have told anybody why if anybody could have asked him, but he had a special desire to see the spirit in his cap, and begged him to be covered.' "'What?' exclaimed the ghost. "'Would you so soon put out?' with worldly hands, the light that I give. Is it not enough that you are one of those whose passions made this cap and forced me through whole trains of years to wear it low upon my brow? Scrooge reverently disclaimed all intention to offend or any knowledge of having willfully bonneted the spirit at any period of his life. He then made bold "'to inquire what business brought him there. "'Your welfare,' said the ghost. "'Scrooge expressed himself much obliged, "'but could not help thinking that a night of unbroken rest "'would have been more conducive to that end. "'The spirit must have heard him thinking, "'for it said immediately, "'Your reclamation, then. "'Take heed.' "'It put out its strong hand as it spoke, "'and clasped him gently by the arm.' Rise, and walk with me. It would have been in vain for Scrooge to plead that the weather and the hour were not adapted to pedestrian purposes. The bed was warm, the thermometer a long way below freezing, that he was clad but lightly in his slippers, dressing gown and nightcap, and he had a cold upon him at the time. The grasp, though as gentle as a woman's hand, was not to be resisted. He rose, but finding that the spirit made towards the window, clasped his robe in supplication. I'm a mortal, Scrooge remonstrated, and liable to fall. Bear but a touch of my hand there, said the spirit, laying it upon his heart. You shall be upheld in more than this. As the words were spoken, they passed through the wall and stood upon an open country road, with fields on either hand. The city had entirely vanished. Not a vestige of it was to be seen. The darkness and the mist had vanished with it. It was a clear, cold winter day, with snow upon the ground. Good heaven, said Scrooge, clasping his hands together as he looked about him. I was bred in this place. I was a boy here. The spirit gazed upon him mildly. Its gentle touch, though it had been light and instantaneous, appeared still present to the old man's sense of feeling. He was conscious of a thousand odors floating in the air, each one connected with a thousand thoughts and hopes and joys and cares long, long forgotten. "'Your lip is trembling,' said the ghost. "'What is that upon your cheek?' Scrooge muttered, with an unusual catching in his voice, that it was a pimple, and begged the ghost to lead him where he would. "'You recollect the way?' inquired the spirit. "'Remember it,' cried Scrooge with fervour. "'I could walk it blindfold.' "'Strange to have forgotten it for so many years,' observed the ghost.' "'Let us go on.' "'They walked along the road, "'Scrooge recognising every gate and post and tree, "'until a little market town appeared in the distance, "'with its bridge, its church, and winding river. "'Some shaggy ponies now were seen trotting towards them, "'with boys upon their backs, "'who called to other boys in country gigs and carts "'driven by farmers.' All of these boys were in great spirits and shouted to each other, until the broad fields were so full of merry music that the crisp air laughed to hear it. These are but the shadows of the things that have been, said the ghost. They have no consciousness of us. The travellers came on, and as they came, Scrooge knew and named every one of them, Why was he rejoiced beyond all bounds to see them? Why did his cold eye glisten and his heart leap up as they went past? Why was he filled with gladness when he heard them give each other Merry Christmas as they parted at crossroads and byways for their several homes? What was Merry Christmas to Scrooge? Out upon Merry Christmas, what good had it ever done to him? The school is not quite deserted, said the ghost. A solitary child, neglected by his friends, is left there still. Scrooge said that he knew it, and he sobbed. They left the high road by a well-remembered lane, and soon approached a mansion of dull red brick. It was a large house but one of broken fortunes, for the spacious offices were little used, their walls were damp and mossy, their windows broken, and their gates decayed. Fowls clucked and strutted in the stables, and the coach-houses and sheds were overrun with grass. Nor was it more retentive of its ancient state within, for entering the dreary hall and glancing through the open doors of many rooms, they found them poorly furnished, cold, and vast. There was an earthy savour in the air, a chilly bareness in the place, which associated itself somehow with too much getting up by candlelight, and not too much to eat. They went, the ghost and Scrooge, across the hall, to a door at the back of the house. It opened before them, and disclosed a long, bare, melancholy room, made bare still by lines of plain deal forms and desks. At one of these, a lonely boy was reading, near a feeble fire, and Scrooge sat down upon a form, and wept. To see his poor forgotten self as he used to be. Not a latent echo in the house. Not a squeak and scuffle from the mice behind the panelling. Not a drip from the half-thawed water spout in the dull yard behind. Not a sigh among the leafless boughs of one despondent poplar. Not the idle swinging of an empty storehouse door. No, not a clicking in the fire, but fell upon the heart of Scrooge with a softening influence, and gave a freer passage to his tears. The spirit touched him on the arm, and pointed to his younger self, intent upon his reading. Suddenly, a man in foreign garments, wonderfully real and distinct to look at, stood outside the window— with an axe stuck in his belt, and leading by the bridle an ass laden with wood. Why, it's Ali Baba! Scrooge exclaimed in ecstasy. It's dear old honest Ali Baba. Yes, yes, I know. One Christmas time, when yonder solitary child was left here all alone, he did come for the first time, just like that. Poor boy, and Valentine, said Scrooge, and his wild brother Orson. There they go. What's-his-name, who was put down in his drawers asleep at the gate of Damascus? Don't you see him? And the sultan's groom, turned upside down by the genie. There he is upon his head. Serves him right. I'm glad of it. What business had he to be married to the princess? To hear Scrooge expending all the earnestness of his nature on such subjects, in a most extraordinary voice, between laughing and crying, and seeing his heightened and excited face— "'would have been a surprise to his business friends in the city, indeed. "'There's the parrot,' cried Scrooge. "'Green body, yellow tail, with a thing like lettuce growing out the top of his head. "'There he is. Poor Robin Crusoe, we called him. Uh, "'And when he came home again after sailing round the island, "'Poor Robin Crusoe. Where have you been, Robin Crusoe?' "'The man thought he was dreaming, but he wasn't. It It was the parrot, you know. "'There goes Friday, running for his life to the little creek.' Then, with a rapidity of transition, very foreign to his usual character, he said in pity for his former self, "'Poor boy,' and cried again. "'I wish,' Scrooge muttered, putting his hand in his pocket and looking about him, after drying his eyes with his cuff. "'But it's too late now.' "'What's the matter?' asked the spirit." "'Nothing,' said Scrooge. "'Nothing. "'There was a boy singing a Christmas carol at my door last night. "'I should like to have given him something. "'That's all.' "'The ghost smiled thoughtfully and waved its hand, "'saying as it did so, "'Let us see another Christmas.' "'Scrooge's former self grew larger at the words, "'and the room became a little darker.' "'and more dirty. "'The panels shrunk. "'The windows cracked. "'Fragments of plaster fell out of the ceiling. "'The naked lathes were shown instead, "'but how all this was brought about, "'Scrooge knew no more than you do. "'He only knew that it was quite correct, "'that everything had happened so. "'But there he was, alone again, "'when all the other boys had gone home "'for the jolly holidays.' He was not reading now, but walking up and down despairingly. Scrooge looked at the ghost, and with a mournful shaking of his head, glanced anxiously towards the door. It opened, and a little girl, much younger than the boy, came darting in, putting her arms about his neck, and kissing him, addressing him as dear, dear brother. "'I've come to bring you home, dear brother,' said the child, "'clapping her tiny hands and bending down to laugh. "'To bring you home, home, home.' "'Home, little fan?' returned the boy. "'Yes,' said the child, brimful of glee. "'Home, for good and all. "'Home, for ever and ever. "'Father is so much kinder than he used to be. "'Home is like heaven.' "'he spoke so gently to me one dear night "'when I was going to bed "'that I was not afraid to ask him once more "'if you might come home. "'And he said, "'Yes, you should, "'and sent me in a coach to bring you. "'And you're to be a man,' said the child, "'and are never to come back here. "'But first we're to be together all Christmas long "'and have the merriest time in all the world.' "'You are quite a woman, little fan,' exclaimed the boy." She clapped her hands and laughed, and tried to touch his head, but being too little laughed again, and stood on tiptoes to embrace him. Then she began to drag him in childish eagerness towards the door, and he, nothing loath to go, accompanied her. A terrible voice in the hall cried, "'Bring down Master Scrooge's box there!' and in the hall appeared the schoolmaster himself, who glared on Master Scrooge with ferocious condescension, and threw him into a dreadful state of mind by shaking hands with him. He then conveyed him and his sister into the veriest old well of a shivering best parlour that ever was seen." Where the maps upon the wall and the celestial and terrestrial globes in the windows were waxy with cold here he produced a decanter of curiously light wine a block of curiously heavy cake and administered installments of those dainties to the young people at the same time sending out a meagre servant to offer a glass of something to the postboy who answered that he thanked the gentleman, but if it was the same tap as he had tasted before, he had rather not. Master Scrooge's trunk, being by this time tied on top of the chaise, the children bade the schoolmaster goodbye right willingly, and getting into it, drove gaily down the garden sweep, the quick wheels dashing the hoar-frost and snow from off the dark leaves of the evergreens like spray. Always a delicate creature, whom a breath might have withered, said the ghost, but she had a large heart. So she had, cried Scrooge. You're right, I will not gainsay it, spirit, God forbid. She died a woman, said the ghost, and had, as I think, children. One child, Scrooge returned. True, said the ghost, your nephew Scrooge seemed uneasy in his mind and answered briefly, Yes. And that is where we close the book tonight on this episode of Down to Sleep and on A Christmas Carol. I really enjoyed this reading. I felt like there was a lot of humor and the rhythm of the book really got going. I hope that you enjoyed it as well and that it helped you get off to sleep tonight.